Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Dominic Rinaldi. Dominic, thank you for joining us on Rising Tide. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. Hey, I've, I've really enjoyed kind of our uh, pre-recording chat so far. And I am, I've, I've got some questions that I really want to drill down with you as we head deeper into the interview. But start out a little bit. Just give our listeners a little background on Dominic Rinaldi. Yeah, so um, for the last 17 years, roughly, I've owned and operated a lower middle market uh, mergers and acquisitions firm. Uh, what that really means is we help people buy and sell privately held companies. Um, I myself purchased uh, this business. Uh, I was out in the marketplace looking to own a business and uh, I was in transition and in the process of looking to buy a business, I came I became enamored with this whole industry and um, thought I could really make an impact given the competition, what I thought was the future of this industry. And so I bought a small little firm and uh, here I am 17 years later, firm's been around, it's in its 21st year now. So it's been around for four years and here we are 17 years later and uh, we've grown the business tremendously have an incredible team uh and it's been it's been an incredible ride so is the irony lost on you that you went to go buy a business and you actually bought a business that buys businesses not at all <laughs> <laughs> i get asked that question all the time so and, tell, yeah you know the, the the backstory of that is Historically, this has changed over my 17 years, uh, but historically, uh, this was very much a cottage industry. When I first actually mm. got into this business, I would talk to business owners and they didn't even know that people like me existed to help them buy and sell businesses. I'd call owners, have a conversation with them, and they'd stop me halfway through a sentence and say, wait, 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 there are actually people who can help me sell my business? I had no idea. And uh, immediately we got lumped in with realtors. And this is a very different industry, very different business. It's nothing like selling real estate. And as I worked with people uh, to find my own business, um, the thing that I realized, at least in my local market, it was, it was one, it was underserved. Uh, the people who I was working with to help me buy a business, um, I found myself being a lot more educated than them. Um, sure. They couldn't explain profit and loss statements to me. They didn't quite have a grasp on the clients they were representing. And I became frustrated, quite frankly. And, and it, that frustration led me to start to do some research. And then luckily through networking, I, I met a couple of folks who were doing this very successfully in another market. They had an asset here in Chicago that was for sale. And I spent six months researching and then finally consummated a transaction. And, um, and you know, it's been, you know, as it, it, for anybody who owns a business, they know it's never a straight line and it's a bumpy ride. And mine has been bumpy to, you know, one big recession, COVID, you know, so it's never a straight line, but boy, I wouldn't trade it for anything. 
Let me let me ask you the the doing due diligence on on you know kind of pre-acquisition you know, on the the firm that you're looking at. So what were some of the factors that you that you looked at? Did you look at the track record of the company? Did you look at the their ability to train you in this particular space? I mean, was it a combination of all those things? Or yeah. what were some of the key factors you were looking at before you kind of pulled the trigger and said, okay, yeah, I'm going to buy this? Yeah, I'm a lot smarter today having helped uh, thousands of people analyze <laughs> businesses than I was true back of then, all of us. <laughs> right? Uh, but... At the time, I was I looked at some macro trends, and the macro trends I was looking at were baby boomers were at the time, 17 years ago, about to start retiring in big numbers. Mm -hmm. Baby boomers own 9 million of the 15 million small businesses in the United States. And it was apparent to me through my research that these baby boomers, lots of them didn't have another generation to take over. And in fact, that story bore out time and time again, as I talked to owners and they lamented how their kids were not interested in their businesses. Mm -hmm. So that was one big factor. The other big factor was at the time, the capital markets were wide open. Interest rates were uh, low, not as low as they are today, right. but very low. And interest rates at an open lending environment fuel M&A activity. So I put that together with baby boomers getting ready to retire. And then uh, the, the third leg of that stool was, I thought that it was going to become increasingly difficult for businesses to grow organically. And that we were also going to have this continuing trend of jobs being outsourced and offshored and, and efficiencies due to technology were going to take over and people were going to be displaced, which would then lead this whole new group of buyers to come flooding into the market to buy the very assets that were, you know, looking to be transferred. Yeah. And so I put those three things together and I said, okay, do I have enough of the skills to be able to learn this industry and take it to the next level? And the, luckily for me, the folks that I bought this business with, I wound up in a long-term partnership with, mm -hmm. and they had an incredible foundation. And so I knew that with their foundation and my previous sales uh, and operations and executive experience that, you know, I'd have a shot at, at maybe making this, uh, you know, a much bigger enterprise. And again, going back to the competition thing, I thought the, the industry was, the sector was underserved and I could maybe build a better mousetrap. Right. And you, you saw certainly growth potential. I mean, you, you saw there was going to be an increased activity based on all these key factors that you, you just kind of listed. So, yeah, which, by the way, when you do diligence, uh, buyers don't buy businesses because they want to keep the business for what it is doing today. They mm. buy it for the future prospects. Yeah. And to me, the future prospects of that business uh, were up and to the right and with, with you know, no cap. Right. So how do you, how would you value a company like that? I mean, it, it's easy to, in my mind, to take a manufacturing company or something like that, but it seems like there's a lot of almost like, um, I would use the term maybe blue sky, you know, that yes. might be involved in a, in a, yes. in a firm like this. So all blue sky, as a matter of fact, it was uh, not so much what the business was doing, but what the potential was, mm. but you have to be careful to not pay for potential. Exactly. Um, but they so want to sell potential. Really, yeah. You know, the potential is why I'm buying it, but I have to go build the potential. So right. my caution to buyers is, you know, pay for the foundation and what's there. And, you know, 
uh, we can get into how businesses are valued in multiples, you know, so maybe you give a business a higher multiple because it's got a great foundation and lots of potential, but don't pay for the potential. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's hard in, in businesses like that, that, you know, where you're paying for purely blue sky, it comes down to what is that business historically generated in cash flows? What's the likelihood that that cash flow is going to continue mm-hmm. under your leadership? Uh, and then arriving at a multiple of that cash flow. And I say cash flow, and what I really mean to say is adjusted EBITDA, uh, seller's discretionary, discretionary earnings. Uh, maybe net income plus owner benefits. There's lots of way to get lots of ways to get to that number. Mm-hmm. But once you get there, then you apply a multiple to that, and that's that's truly how you should uh, you know look at valuing most businesses, not all, but most. And it, I mean, I would think the the market forecast for that sector too has to come into play. I mean, if you're you know if you're selling like you know gas fueled you know, car parts right now. And the, and the sector is headed toward electric. I mean, I can see that that has a a much lower value, you know, future value as you're looking into that sector. But I'm curious, what was your, what was the trigger that said, I don't mean to have all these gun analogies, but what was the, what was the point of the pivot point that said, you know what, I, I'm going to step out of corporate America and I'm going to buy a business. Yeah. What was the, the catalyst there? Yeah. It probably goes back to when I was a teenager, a young kid. Uh, I always was very entrepreneurial. I, I was always hustling, trying to find ways to create something. And so I think I just, I always had it in me. And I, I, throughout my career, you know, while I was building it, always thought some point in time, I'd love to own my own business. And as I uh, rose through the corporate ladder, went on to run companies, actually, raise capital uh, and, and see the power of, you know, what you can build. I, I just got the itch more and more. Mm-hmm. And I found myself in transition and decided that uh, there was no better time for me to, to, to make the leap and give it a shot and see if I could, you know, make it happen. Right. And by the way, you know, not that I took that lightly because I had a young family. Mm-hmm. I call it, I had to train the pole. I had a big train the pole. Yep. My kids were young, college education's ahead of me, uh, you know, mortgages, all sorts of things that, you know, go with young families. So I didn't take it lightly, but I had confidence in myself. Uh, and, I, and I think I have the profile of a good entrepreneur. I'm a little bit of a risk taker, a cautious risk taker, but you have to have some of that in you. If you're Absolutely. afraid of risk, Small business ownership is not for you. Yep. yep. Uh, there's a lot of ups and downs. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't think there was a better time for me to, to do it. So day one, you walk into this new company that now has your name on it. And uh, what was the what was the first day like when you were sitting there at that, that, that desk? You're thinking, is anybody going to buy this service in the future? Or yeah. what, were, what was going through your mind? So um, I bought it with a plan in mind. Uh, it was small. It was operating. I didn't want to mess up what was going on mm-hmm. uh, because I, I saw that there was some momentum there. And there it was generating uh, some revenue. I mean, there, it, were, there were still people oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. It was generating revenue, it was generating cash flow. Um, and I went in with the initial goal of I was going to learn this business from the ground up and I was going to be the rainmaker of the business. And once I was the rainmaker, 
then I could start to build the business on that prowess. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I spent a couple of years uh, while I was managing the business. So I was, I call myself a player coach during those mm, years. Sure. Um, I was recruiting, I was training, I was trying to help people. I was trying to improve the processes and the systems and all of that and marketing. And you, you do everything when you've got a small business. Uh, but at the same time, I was doing deals and I was, uh, and I, and I, within probably 18 months to two years, I became the number one producer in the office. And that continued then for, you know, a while going forward, but I can't stress how important that was going forward. It gave me the credibility oh, to recruit people yep. and to build the business that I have today. So fast forward to today, I don't actually manage any of my own deals anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I really just- the right not to do that. Yeah. Well, and, and it's important for any business owner to really have that as a goal, because if you can create a self-managing business that isn't reliant on you, you've increased the value of that business dramatically. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so uh, I, I now am able to spend my time really on the business rather than in it. Right. And that's not to say I don't get involved with clients because I do, but I'm not the lead person. Uh, I'm not their day-to-day -day contact. Right. And you, and you can make those decisions. You can decide which ones you want to be involved with, which ones you don't. I mean, if there's really a key, you know, client that you're thinking I, I could add value by, by yep. stepping into this, I mean, you can do that, yep. but yep. I, let's, let's touch on the, the, the thought you just mentioned about the, you know, creating a business that you don't necessarily have to work in. It's almost like a self-guided or so, not self-guided, but self, it runs itself type yep. thing. So it's, yep. The, the value of that to me is not only external or it's, you know, an increased value in the, in the business itself, because I mean, it, to me, it's, it's more valuable if you go to sell that business, if you can say, yes. Hey, you don't have to work in this, yeah. but internally as well. I mean, it's, it's more value to the business owner themselves. I mean, from a health standpoint, from a, you know, from a time standpoint, a freedom standpoint, I mean, all these things come into play. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely correct. Um, my quality of life is much higher now uh, than when I was first starting this, you know, first building this business and, uh, you know, trying to get it to the next level. So no doubt about it. I will say one of the big things that that helped me um, was joining a coaching program, Strategic Coach. Uh, and, and they really help you hone in on you know, what are your unique abilities? Mm -hmm. Focus on the things that you're good at and that you love to do and get rid of everything else. Yeah. Delegate, they call it finding the who's. Mm -hmm. Who's going to do that stuff? <laughs> because, you know, a lot of times we find ourselves doing things that we're good at, but that we hate doing. And it drains us of our energy. And now my energy, I, I, I apply it almost completely towards the things that I'm really good at and that I love to do this behind you right here. M&A unplugged my podcast. You know, I love podcasting. You know, you and I had this conversation just yep. before we got on. Uh, I know you love it as well. It, it gives me such energy to talk to people, new people and learn new things. And uh, I, I love doing that. And I love being able to go out and, uh, and see the build the business, marketed in new ways. So I get involved in those things that I really love. And uh, the energy I get from that is incredible. It's almost like the, the Pareto principle, the 80-20. I mean, what, what can you spend, 
you know, what, what is the thing you spend the time on that's going to give you the biggest return, you yeah. know, for sure. So yeah. you, you mentioned um, in another interview that I, that I remember listening to that uh, you were talking about, you know, the a business owner going out to buy a business and it kind of generated a, a question in my mind. I've asked other, other guests and it's uh, answers have been virtually all over the board. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious to hear your answer, but how important is it when you're, when you're working with somebody that wants to acquire a business, how important is it that they are passionate about that particular thing versus just, they're just passionate about business or that they just see this business. I mean, I don't care if I'm selling widgets. I mean, or, yeah. or do you really need to have an interest in the, the business itself? What, what is your personal thought or conviction? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> It's a tough question, right? Because passion doesn't mean it's always the thing that you're going to um, be good at and make money at, right? Just because you have passion for something doesn't mean that you're well suited to own that type of business. Right. Um, certainly, you have to have a passion about owning a business, right? And being in that business. But, you know, just because you love sports and you're passionate, passionate about sports doesn't mean you should go out and buy a sporting business, right? right. You can still apply the, the, the passion around sports into your business, right? The team aspects and whatever it is. I, we built a free assessment for buyers. And, and the first question we ask people is, have you built a strategic acquisition plan? And the strategic actual acquisition plan is all about taking an, in, an inventory of yourself and um, what you like to do, what you don't like to do, where your passions lie is certainly important, right? What you're good at. Uh, and then taking all of that information and doing the research in the marketplace to say, well, where would these skills and experiences uh, and interests best be applied. And, you know, we tell people to start with, you know, a broad list of industry sectors, right, and check things off, and then start to narrow it down. But there's also another piece of the puzzle that you need to think about. Most buyers uh, need a loan to acquire a business, mm -hmm. uh, especially today's interest rates, it's almost crazy to not go get a business loan. Uh, and so, if you need a loan, you need to think about what is the bank likely to approve me for? You know, if you've spent your career in retail, let's say, and all of a sudden you, you know, you see an opportunity in manufacturing, chances are you're not going to get a loan for a manufacturing business. So you got to get real. Right. Uh, even though you may have a passion about it, it, it doesn't matter. Where are you going to get money? Uh, and so there's lots of pieces that go into your criteria. Passions is sticky, you know, is, is to bring a full circle. Passions, is, you know, interesting topic. You, you need to be willing to get up in the morning and, yep. and be excited. Uh, but just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean that you, you know, you can't apply that somewhere else. I, from a, from a personal story, a few years ago, we had, uh, our family had an opportunity to be involved in a, in a certain well-known franchise that mm -hmm. happens to sell chicken. Hmm. And you know, the, we had a lot of friends that were involved in this and, and I mean, a great opportunity to kind of step into this. And I just remember waking up one day and I said, I could not wake up every day and be excited about selling chicken. There you go. So I, that was an easy determinant that yeah. just said, you know what, I, this is not, 
the opportunity for me for us at this at this time but it's i'm just curious to hear you know everyone i understand that that you know it's not like you know you can only buy a business that is this passion because especially if it's a if it's a self uh, how did you self-managed business right you know i don't care if we're selling you know t-shirts or or bananas i mean it, yep. it really doesn't matter if it's kind of running itself but Together. I like the the idea you kind of you kind of expressed it, you know, in more general terms with this idea, this Venn diagram that says, you know, what do you like to do? What will people pay for? And how can you make money at it? What's yeah. what's that, you know, that golden triangle there in the center of, of those three, you know, opportunities? Yeah. And, you know, and the passion part, uh, one more comment about that, you know, I'm passionate about the things that I do every day. Mm -hmm. I, I love my business, right? Yeah. I mean, I, lo I love my business, but I'm way more passionate about the activities that I'm doing on a daily basis right. that can move the needle for my business. So it goes back to, you know, what are you really good at and, and what do you love to do? And can you do that inside of the company that you acquire or build? That's a, that's a great way to kind of, tie a bow around that, uh, that, that subject. But you mentioned in a, in another segue here, you mentioned another um, interview, the idea of, you know, you, and you touched on just a second ago, this idea of, of like a business loan. Mm -hmm. And I think in the context, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a poor job of laying the groundwork. So you're going to have to clean it up after I get that to get this question out. Cause you'll probably sure. know, know exactly what I'm talking about. But I think that the context was, um, almost like preparing a bank for either a sale or a, or a purchase. Like you, you, you went to the bank even beforehand and said, yeah. okay, let's talk about, you know, loan value within the business or whatever. And as, as it could increase the value of the business, can you unpack that a little bit? Because I, I wasn't really clear exactly what you were talking about. And, and yep. did I do a good enough job of, of, you know, teeing it up for you? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. And actually it relates to owners, current owners of businesses who are thinking about selling. That's it. That's exactly and, what it was. Yep. So our process that we've built is goes in two phases. And phase one is all about analyzing the business, which is something that owners should do early and every couple of years, mm. uh, because I can share so many stories uh, with you about owners who thought they had tons of time for an exit and, and never thought that it would be forced upon them. And all of a sudden it's forced upon them and they didn't do all the things they could do along the way to maximize yeah. value. Yeah. Uh, so prepare early and do it every couple of years. And so what I was referring to is when we do the analysis phase, uh, which enables an owner to look, you know, take a, you know, step back from their business, look from the 50,000 foot level and say, okay, is this an asset that's got enough value for me to sell it at this point in time? And do I want to step away? And one of the components of doing that assessment after we do a market opinion of value and we understand whether or not there's buyers for the asset is we package that business up confidentially and we take it to a bank. We work with about 18 banks. So we'll know which ones might be interested in a, any particular deal. And we'll take it to the bank and say, okay, Mr. Banker, if, if we find a qualified buyer, given the uh, market value that we've put on this business, would you be willing to lend to a buyer? And they'll take a look at the package. They'll vet it the same way we did. And they'll come back with a yes, no, or maybe. 
Uh, and, and yes, great. Uh, now we know that there's a bank behind the deal if we bring a qualified buyer, which does a lot of things for an owner, by the way. One, it, it ensures that we're going to attract a large number of buyers because buyers want to be able to access loans to acquire businesses. They don't want to yeah. write checks for the right. full amount. The, the, the other thing that it'll do is it'll ensure that a business owner walks away with the lion's share of the purchase price at the mm -hmm. closing table yep. versus maybe having to do an earnout or do something called a seller note where they have to take uh, periodic payments over right. you know, some period of time. Um, so it does a lot of great things for a seller. And, and we put all that together for an owner so now they can really analyze, okay, is this the right package for me? And is this the right time? Is that always conducive for the owner or is, is it there are there instances where it actually would be better for the owner to carry the note, you know, on, on the sale? So it depends on um, your risk situation. Certainly if a seller carries a note, there's a couple of things that are going to happen uh, as a result of that. One, uh, they're going to get a first lien on the assets of the business. So if anything ever happens, they'll get the business back. Right. They may or may not want it back. I was going to say uh, it, it, no condition guaranteed. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, the second thing that will happen is they'll get interest mm -hmm. on those payments. So now they're earning interest on this money, right? Right. Interest rates. I mean, that's, you know, probably higher right? than they're you earning anywhere it. else. Let's, that's right. Let's see what happens. Right. Yeah. Um, the other thing it does is rather than getting a lump sum of cash at the closing table that's going to be taxable to the government, you now stretch out these payments over a longer period of time. Assuming you don't have other income, this now might put you in a different tax bracket. Yeah. So now you've lowered your tax rate on the proceeds. Right. And so there are some benefits, but most of the owners that I talk to faced with walking away at the closing table with 80 to 90% of the sale proceeds yep. uh, versus 30, 40, 50% of the sale proceeds, they almost always pick 80 to 90% because of the certainty of taking that money, even at a higher tax rate and, and, and letting it work for them day one, a lot less risk uh, going forward because you don't really know if that new owner is gonna run the business as well as you did. Uh, and if those payments oh, sure. are going to yeah. be there. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but there are certain situations where it could be more advantageous. And so on the sale, sale of a business, I'm, I'm assuming that kind of the capital gains, you know, rules would apply on, on, on that. So is there a certain period of time that a business owner can reinvest in another business and, and kind of defer those taxes, you know, like similar to like you can maybe on the sale of a home, or how does that work with, with like business acquisition? So there is no 1031 exchange um, for business sales. Now that said, there are some really creative ways to set up trusts. Now watch the YouTube, you, watch, watch, the, watch the smile when he said really creative ways. <laughs> really creative ways to set up some trusts and have the proceeds funnel through trusts that maybe are you know, not immediately taxed and, you know, you can do some other things inside the trust. And, and this is where you just, you know, I always recommend to people, you need really experienced M&A advisors, an M&A attorney, M&A accountant, 
folks who do estate planning and, and understand mergers and acquisitions, intermediaries like ourselves, surround yourself with a great team and get this advice well in advance. I mean, you right. should not be doing this the day you decide you want to sell. Yeah. You should have these plans in place years ahead of time so you can execute at any moment. I mean, it's hard to set up a, a BVI trust or something like that, you know, in 24 hours. So exactly. Yeah. Or, Without or whatever you're a yeah. boatload of money, right? Exactly. It'll cost you a lot. Exactly. I, um, and I really appreciate the conversation today and, and just the whole background of, of, uh, you know, just hearing your story. And this is such an interesting topic to me anyway. I mean, I could literally could sit here and just ask you questions all day long. We could have a four hour podcast, but what have I, what have I not asked you about that you really wanted to touch on today as we kind of wrap up and, and, um, you know, just, just kind of take us and land the plane for us, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, we've hit on it already, but I think it, it's such an important piece that it, it really warrants uh, me putting a bow on the conversation in this way. After 17 years of doing this, the number one pitfall that I see time and time again is people didn't properly prepare. Hmm. Even when they think they properly prepared, they come to us and it was painfully obvious that they missed some really important steps. And here's the challenge with that. When you don't properly prepare, whether you're looking to buy or sell, you, you run the risk of not maximizing your returns and introducing all sorts of risks that uh, will carve back you know, what might have been a really good transaction. And so my strong advice, take the time to understand what preparation looks like. And if you can execute the preparation, if you can't hire advisors that can help you execute their preparation so that you can have peace of mind when you do a transaction, whether you're buying or selling, that you've done all you can to put the odds in your favor that you're gonna have a, a really successful and great transaction. So you, you mentioned, uh, generate another question. You mentioned, you know, don't confuse this with kind of real estate, the, the realtor sales or whatever. Yeah. So how do you, when somebody comes to you, is this, um, are your services primarily around the transaction itself? Or is it like, okay, we, we have services that you're going to pay for, regardless of whether a sale happens or not, or a purchase happens or not. And, and we're just kind of going through the process yeah. of preparing preparing you to be able to do this? Yeah, yeah, great question. So one of the things I didn't talk about is we actually have a second company. Uh, Sun Acquisitions is solely focused on once you're ready to have a transaction, buy mm -hmm. or sell, we will help you with the transaction. We have another company called K2 Advisor. Uh, Advisor is with an E, K, mm -hmm. the number two advisor. And that business is completely focused on helping people prepare mm -hmm. for a buy or a sell. Right. Uh, we'll do coaching. We'll do one-on-one -on -one consulting. We do group consulting and coaching. So uh, we're really trying to bring the knowledge that we have over 20 plus years to the marketplace to help people get smarter about how to prepare. And this art is your business primarily focused in the U S or do you have kind of an international arm as well? So we're primarily U.S. focused, um, but we have a, a, a sell side practice where we represent owners of businesses and a buy side where we will actually represent buyers. Our, our sell side is, is U.S. based. Mm -hmm. Our buy side, however, is international. We have 
international clients at the moment, mostly trying to buy U.S. assets. Right, right. Yeah, that's that. I mean, I have a, a very dear friend that's that's in M&A in, in Western Europe. And I'm thinking, you know, a lot of his clients are looking at purchasing, yes. you know, businesses in the U.S. So, right, exactly. Um, it, I need to put you guys together. And we can, yeah, you know, we yeah can I was just going to say, sometimes we work uh, in cooperation with folks like that. We can be their boots on the ground here, uh, creating the opportunities uh, and working in concert together. Yeah. Well, I will I'll certainly put you guys together. Um, he, awesome. he is a, he's a good man and, and a very highly intelligent, you know, uh, guy and uh, does a great job in that space and in Europe. Awesome. But, well, Dominic, thank you so much for just taking the time today. It's been a bit of pleasure getting to know you and hearing your story and, and actually just, you know, letting you educate us in this, in, in the whole M&A space today. I mean, me included. So I, I've asked questions as a, as a student and, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time and just really playing your part and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Dominic, have a great day. Kevin, thank you so much. Great interview. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.